I'm Frank Powers, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, the program where I speak to our neighbors, the people behind the scenes of our amazing organizations, small businesses, and nonprofits. Our friends are informing you how they serve our community, and they are here to give you updates on future projects. Let's make some new friends today. Free Tibet! Now what's that mean? I heard Lisa Simpson yell this as a kid and would hear this phrase many times before understanding its historical origins as it is a battle cry for the Tibetan independence movement. This political movement has been abdicating for the reversal of the 1950 annexation of Tibet by the People's Republic of China and the separation and independence of Tibet from China. Arizona Friends of Tibet is a nonprofit organization dedicated to manifesting His Holiness the Dalai Lama's vision of promoting basic human values as set forth in Tibetan culture, civilization, and ancient Buddhist traditions. They support the nonviolent efforts of the Dalai Lama to regain dignity and religious freedom for the Tibetan people. Today, I'm fortunate enough to speak with Ray DeShiel, the Associate Professor of Religious Studies and East Asian Studies at the University of Arizona. Welcome to Lifestyle Tucson, Ray. Thank you. And we are also joined by Steve Rosalick, the president of the Arizona Friends of Tibet. Mr. President, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you both. I'm really excited because I, I love Buddhism, just even as a person in general. I got into it a few years ago. Uh, it just seems to be kind of the way that I believe my life kind of goes. I just believe in kindness a lot and just being good. And there's a lot of those beliefs. I've read some books. I've read some tenets on it and gotten into it in the last few years. And it really is just something that is very great. So I wanted to ask you guys just right off the bat, when did you discover like Buddhism in your life and, and what's it meant to you? So let's start with you, Ray. Well, I think the most important moment for me on the beginning of my path was actually in college. As an undergraduate, we had this visiting professor I was taking a course with her on Indian art, and I had been very interested in art and religion from pretty young age, but became progressively more interested in Asian art. Mm -hmm. And she took us to the Asia Society for this exhibition called Mandala, the Architecture of Enlightenment. And at that exhibition, there were all of these mandala um, depicted in the form of paintings, um, sculpture, a mandala is a celestial palace that's inhabited by Buddhas. Mm -hmm. um, and there were also some Tibetan monks there creating a live sand mandala uh, over the course of several days. And I was completely captivated to understand everything about what they were doing, why it was important to them. Before I left the field trip that day, I had already planned on how I was going to get back. Right? Wow. Uh, so mandala was really what brought me into the study of Buddhism and Tibet. Um, and so that was the beginning of my path. And interestingly, that was also the beginning of my path with Arizona Friends of Tibet, because my first year teaching here at University of Arizona, I organized a sand mandala to be created for the students. Wow. And I couldn't get funding. Okay. And Arizona Friends of Tibet swooped in. Peggy Hitchcock found out through the local Dharma Center, and they funded the event. And so that was how I first became aware of the stuff they as well. That's huge. And they, you guys do a lot of great community stuff, and we will talk about all that and how much you benefit a lot of great organizations in town and across the world, which is huge. Like, you really are doing a lot. And let me ask you, sir, how did you get involved and with, like, some of your belief system behind all this uh, in your life, Steve? Really, you know, from my own experience of psychological, mental, and emotional suffering mm. that came out of a very difficult um a psychedelic experience that I had when I was 19 years old. 
And I, for many years, tried to understand what had happened to me. Um, and I looked at, you know, Western philosophy, psychology, mysticism, and things like that. And I was just kind of, you know, searching around for, I guess, some answers, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. And I finally felt like I started to come home when, in 2005, uh, I met my Tibetan teacher who was doing a teaching on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And that was a book that I'd read in, in 92 or 93, around that same time, that I had a difficult experience. And I figured, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check this out. And, um, and I was just so surprised at the kind of heart connection that I felt to this man. And uh, before then, my, my conception of Buddhism is just like it's very logical, it's very you know, cerebral kind mm -hmm. of, um, and, I, and I was kind of blown away by the kind of the depth of affection and love that I, that I felt for this, for this, uh, for this teacher. Mm. It's really interesting. Mentors, I always say, are some of the most important people we can meet in our lives. I feel that I've had great mentors uh, later in my life and really helped a lot. I always tell people, you can find a mentor, someone that you, you feel and you feel that they can inspire you or get you motivated, think of how many people you meet. It's not a lot. There's not a lot of people that, that like, oh, for some reason I feel what this person's saying and I feel motivated. We need some of those coaches in our lives, I think, more than we realize, especially as we get older. And getting someone to really give us some guidance, especially when we're looking for answers or asking those questions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. So what made you then, uh, as you then grow, uh, when did you get involved with Arizona Friends of Tibet? Well, the first time I got involved with Arizona Friends of Tibet was through a teaching that uh, Dr. B. Allen Wallace gave uh, at Peggy Hitchcock's house, uh, and that was uh, in April of 2006. And Allen Wallace came to do the Four Measurables teaching. It was, uh, it was a weekend teaching. And by that time, I had already kind of taken refuge and begun that Buddhist path. And with... Alan's teachings, I found just such clarity and, you know, that love and compassion. So the four measurables are um, love, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh calls these the four qualities of love, mm. right? And that's, uh, I was really blown away by his clarity. And then I, um, several years later, uh, just got connected again, uh, you know, with, with the board. And I've been on the board for... I don't know, how, how long has it been? Six years? Something like that? I can't remember exactly when I came on. Um, maybe 2018? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to fact check myself. I don't know. But, uh, but I've been involved with them for, yeah, the past several years. And, uh, and then I think this last year I've served as, as a president. I've had other board members that have been doing like a lot of the heavy lifting for me, like Ginger Applegarth has been, she was a previous uh, president, the interim president for a while. And uh, yeah, she's just very amazing at her organizational powers. So I'm much obliged to her. And uh, yeah, and it's kind of, you know, I'm not used to being a president. So it's kind of uh, another mentorship opportunity. Yeah. So you're talking about 2005. Let me ask you then, when's the Dalai Lama coming back to Tucson? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> right? That's a good idea. Right? He, we're still on our 14th Dalai Lama, yes? yes. He's my favorite. <laughs> I don't like the odd llamas. I like an even llama. Yeah. But 
that's a big deal. I remember when that happened because I had just moved here around then and I couldn't believe that, like, was the Dalai Lama's visiting? I couldn't believe it. That's such yeah. a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that was 2005. That's yeah. true because right after I took refuge, I got uh, there was a random free ticket and I got to go see him at the, what was it, the TCC? Yeah, doesn't that feel like a little bit of fate? Like, yeah, look yeah. at that random free ticket was, for you, right? When you're looking. <laughs> There's that great photo on the Arizona Friends of Tibet website of. His Holiness the Dalai Lama with the saguaro in the yeah. background. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just that image alone, you know? Yeah. I'm sure that's in his portfolio as well. How much have you all, have you traveled? Have you made your way to Tibet? Yes. Uh, so I was very fortunate to travel twice to Tibet, um, both for study um, in 2004 and 2006 for language immersion programs uh, that were organized through Columbia University and University of Virginia mm -hmm. to be held at Tibet University in Lhasa, Pujong Lobdo Chenmo, or Shizan Dashwe. Uh, and the first time I was able to spend two months at the university, which was an incredible experience, the second time a bit shorter. Um, but that was my first experience, you know, of immersion in Tibetan culture, and it was truly transformative. Yeah. Um, since then, more of my experience with Tibetan culture is rooted in the diaspora. So my main research work I do in Nepal, uh, in the Kathmandu area. Mm. Um, but I've also lived and done research in Dharamshala, the home of the, the Dalai Lama. That's incredible. Large community exile. Yeah. Um, and attended teachings there, actually, um, amongst the refugee community. Lucky. Which was incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have had the privilege to travel a lot. And it's something that, you know, really over time, as I got to knew, know more Tibetans in exile, realized what a privilege it was because so many people can't return. It's so incredible to be able to visit a culture in that way, not on a vacation, not on a thing, to go on like an educational spiritual journey and to really get involved in a local culture and have them bring you in and know that that's kind of the thing. Let's show this person everything we can. Yeah. You know, and that's incredible. And then you're taking everything that you learn, everything you see, and you're a professor at the university getting to show this experience and share it with a lot of these students. And that's incredible, too, because that's the age that you were when this changed your life. Being able to help out impressionable youth, kids in college looking for opportunities when, oh, I think about it now, when your life is so ahead of you that you get to make these big, bold choices and do some of these big things that you might not have thought about growing up. You never thought about, like, when did you start thinking, like, you know, maybe one day I'll get to go to Tibet. Like, we're not asked that growing up. It's like maybe I'd be a firefighter or an astronaut. It's you don't think of the opportunities the world can really bring you. Religion can scare people. But when you really express with the message of kindness, that empathy, it's so important because it's just something that everyone can get behind and believe in. Like, that is what drew me to it a lot, the kindness, you know, and the big message. That said, not a lot of people are going to be able to go to Tibet, right? Not a lot of people are going to be able to experience this. But luckily, we've got film. And film is what we're going to celebrate right now and talk about, mm -hmm. is that you've got a big event coming up when Arizona Friends of Tibet presents the 2023 Tibetan Film Festival, October 21st and 22nd at the Loft Cinema. There's going to be four different films, one feature-length film and several short films at each screening. The screening is going to be at 2 o'clock to about 4.30 p.m., their sponsorship opportunities are available now. You can contact info at AFOT.org for information. Tickets are live on the Loft Cinema's website. You can go get all that information right there. Go check it all out. Uh, I summed up a bit of it. That's just the stuff I found on a flyer, though. Tell me about the Tibetan Film Festival and what it means to you. 
Uh, well, in preparing for our conversation today, I've gotten now increasingly more excited about this <laughs> event. Um, our last film event was back right before lockdown right. Uh, in early 2020. And so this is really special for us to be coming back to the loft and not just with a single screening, but with a whole weekend full of offerings um, and also offerings that um, some of them are in Tibetan language with English sub subtitles. So really coming out of the Tibetan cultural framework. Um, so and each day there'll be a, one film short, mm -hmm. so about 20 minutes long and then one full length film about an hour and a half or a little shorter um, for each one. And they deal with really different um, kind of broad, exciting themes. So the first day, the films that we're going to show really deal with uh, questions of identity and resistance and exile and refuge. Um, and the second day, we'll be thinking about Buddhist practices of realization rooted in debate, uh, thinking about the nature of reality and conversation with mm -hmm. others. Um, and then also uh, this really incredible film made by someone that I met actually as a student at Berkeley, who's finishing his degree in anthro there right now, Donna Coleman, um, called Tukdam, which really brings together the conversation between Buddhism and science to talk about issues of life and death. Wow. So we have a really broad span of really exciting issues dealt with in really different ways and beautiful cinematography to boot. So I'm really excited to share these with the Tucson community. I want to go. Like I, I'm just, I'm very interested in all this, and it it seems fascinating, and I love the the broad the broad topics. That's very fascinating. I didn't expect to hear science brought up, which is very unique. What are you looking forward to the most of the four films? What do you think? Well, three of the four are all directed by this um, collaborative team, Ritu Sarin and Tenzin Sonam, who have been doing a lot of films dealing with Tibetan identity over the years. So I'm excited to see Sweet Requiem on the big screen. I think that it's going to be really visually interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, I'm, I'm really excited for that one. Um, I do a lot of work at the university thinking about Buddhism and science. I teach a course on Buddhism and healing. I'm part of this religion, science, and health program and religious studies. Uh, so for that reason, Tukdam is very interesting, the Between Two Worlds film, where we're really yeah, between the worlds. About, yeah. Between Worlds, mm -hmm. thank you. Right. Um, where we're thinking about you know how you draw the boundary between life and death um, from a biomedical perspective versus from a Buddhist perspective, how those perspectives could be in dialogue. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the film is looking at the work that Richie Davidson at the lab at University of Wisconsin has done, like, you know, that famous uh, cover image from Time Magazine with the monk with his, uh, with all the yes. little, you know, transmitters on his head, right? So he's been running that lab, one of the most kind of influential ones, but there are many now, uh, you know, mapping the um, psychological, not the neural correlates. Neuro, yes. Yeah. yeah. And looking at neuroplasticity and how meditation impacts neuroplasticity and other kinds functions. Yeah, my understanding is that before Richie Davidson started doing this work, our understanding of the human mind and consciousness and its potentials was mostly disease model. And it was not until the Dalai Lama said to Richie Davidson something like, hey, why don't you look at an extraordinary human consciousness, right? Somebody who's extraordinarily mentally well. And Richie Davidson went, oh, okay. And that was in the 90s, and that was kind of coinciding with the birth of some of the movement of positive psychology as well. Um, and then we started studying health instead of 
studying illness, which we had done for you know nearly two centuries before. Right. Only the 90s. Yeah, not that long ago, right? <laughs> well, the Tibetan civilization is a civilization that's been doing this for the last, you know, thousand years. Yeah. And they've developed these technologies, right? These kind of inner technologies, if you will. And Tukdam is a kind of a real deep dive into a phenomena that has been there in the culture for, you know, for a very long time, which is when these kind of highly realized Tibetan meditation practitioners, when they pass away, they can pass away sitting up and they can remain in a state of not, you know, their bodies do not decay for a week or a month in some cases. In the tradition, they say that these uh, advanced meditators are meditating on the clear, clear light of death, right, which is nature of mind. And in that state, the body does not decay until um, consciousness then is kind of deliberately chosen to, to leave the body, and at that time, then the body kind of slumps over, uh, the warmth at the chest um, you know, starts to go away, but they're with no pulse and no respiration, with typically like a warmth at the chest. And, um, and this documentary is about studying that scientifically, and so that'll be on Sunday. Only a few years ago I watched a thing about science that was all about how we just recorded a dream for the first time. We just recorded someone a memory. There it is. That person has a memory. We mm -hmm. recorded it. Technology catching up with like what we can analyze in the brain is wild. So yeah. to think of what it is for positivity to watch someone who's meditating and watch what it does to the brain and watch what that can do as the conversation of mental health and good mental health is only, again, a newer topic. Exactly. I'm a psychotherapist in my day job, and yeah. so I'm, you know, keenly aware of the the crisis of mental health yeah. that our entire culture seems to be in right yeah. now. It's all about helping people on Lifestyle Tucson, but it really has become like mental health is one of the number one things that every group, no matter what you're dealing with, is in a way dealing with, and mental health is something that would help everybody yeah. in a, in a big big way. Because I do find that when you study Buddhism, the more you look into it, the more you discover. Even with these newer podcasts, we don't have to read a book. Like, I know some people, it's hard for them to just read a book. It's a shame. You know how many books the average American reads in a year? Oh, don't tell me. One third. One third of books. Uh -huh. <laughs> because people don't read books. So, unfortunately, that's the way it is. But we do have new things like podcasts that are huge. It's because people do want information. People, it's not like it was growing up in the 80s when, like, a, a show about science is going to be boring. Bill Nye didn't come out for a while. They made intelligent entertainment become popular again. Documentaries are huge. They didn't used to be as popular, but they're so mainstream that you can just learn all about this stuff in new ways. And I've done most of my education through podcasts, through some shows on Netflix with when it comes to this belief system in it. And there really is like almost nothing but joyousness behind it. I honestly invite anyone to check out everything that you guys are doing. So let's just talk about more of your organization as a whole because the Film Fest, I'll give you some uh, those details again in the recap. The real question that I just want to keep going and, and talking about are some of the programs that you are providing at Arizona Friends of Tibet. What are some of the things that you guys are doing besides the film festival throughout the year? We do do community events like the film festival, of course, and San Mandala, bringing Buddhist teachers in. But a large part of what we do is actually funding Tibetan communities mm -hmm. um, in need. So many of those in the diaspora in India, um, many of them organizations for children uh, that are providing health care, uh, education, shelter, 
Also, we have a history of funding a lot of projects for Buddhist nuns um, who traditionally have been somewhat overlooked within the Buddhist Sangha um, and gotten a little less funding from their own local communities. Yeah, and we all so, hear about those Buddhist monks, Buddhist nuns. That's the B-sides, apparently. Yeah. Well, and actually, I'll just have to say one more. I have a special passion for, <laughs> for Buddhist nuns. I think when I traveled to Tibet, that was probably the most transformative moment for me was going and staying at a nunnery and wow. just really connecting yeah. with these women. But one of the films, I will just say, one of those short films, Dropchi Elegy, is actually the story of a former um, nun from uh, who was held in captivity for 12 years for peaceful protest. And it was a whole group of nuns that a lot of listeners might actually have heard about because they recorded their songs from prison and those songs made it out um, into the broader wow. world. And so their songs brought a huge amount of international attention to the Tibetan fight. So yeah, the what nuns have historically done for Tibetan freedom is incredible. And also, you know, continuing to support communities of women, particularly women renunciants, is something that we've prioritized historically. And also Tibetan organizations working on conflict resolution within the refugee mm. community. Um, translation projects as well. Uh, and I'll just also say that during the pandemic, uh, we especially were providing uh, resources for organizations to get medical supplies out. Um, what something people might not know is that even though Buddhist monks and nuns are living in these communities that are supposedly in isolation from the world, monasteries and nunneries are often like the central place where people, especially in rural communities, get resources, medical treatment, and so forth. During the pandemic, a lot of these organizations, um, you know, renunciants communities were where people would get their PPE and so forth. And so we were funding um, some nunneries and monasteries who were also then spreading those resources to their local communities. Oh, that's huge. And I was reading that on the website, and it's just to say it here, 100% of every dollar you donate goes directly to your carefully vetted grantee organizations, and that's very, very important. No one's getting paid. You're all taking care of all these people across the world, and some of these kids are orphans. You're taking care of children. You're taking care of sick elderly. You're taking care of nuns. Who can who can disagree with that? What better person to take care of than a nun? My goodness. And I, I do sometimes ask uh, this. If you can't donate money, donate your time. How can people get involved with Arizona Friends of Tibet? Well, getting in touch with us through the website, um, whenever we have these events, of course, we need to have hands on board um, to be meeting and greeting people, um, you know, signing people up for memberships and so forth, helping to organize. So, yeah, we very much uh, welcome community support in whatever form it takes. If you want to get involved also, they have a great newsletter. You can go subscribe to that. Keep up to date on all the fun events going on and everything happening. I got a question for you, and then we're going to wrap it up. It's a lofty one. And if you had one wish. Hardy har. Yeah. If you if you have one wish for your organization, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. I'm the, I'm the wish Mr. guy. Mr. President, huh? you go oh, first. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it would be to, you know, be able to make a bigger impact than we are now. That would be, I think, really a wonderful thing that we could do. Also to... You know, there's a piece here that I would like us to do a little more of, and that's, uh, you know, kind of facilitate some of the interreligious dialogue that is a part of our, our vision. Ray, what do you think? Well, I think a lot of 
what first comes to mind for me is gratitude. So gratitude to Peggy, right? So I think mm-hmm. Peggy Hitchcock, who's formed uh, our organization, is really the powerhouse behind it still. She keeps us on track and keeps us inspired um, and really is the reason this event is happening now. <laughs> we couldn't wait any longer, right? Um, so really doing her vision justice. Um, but also I think gratitude to the Tibetan community for sharing their incredible culture and belief system with the world and the conditions through which they've come to do that are of course um, the result you know resulting from suffering right that yeah. they, their community in exile we probably wouldn't know about a lot of um, these teachings on kindness and compassion and so forth if uh, the Dalai Lama hadn't left Tibet in 1959 and come to India and been in dialogue with this larger global community. So to show gratitude for that gift of sharing their culture um, by helping to preserve it and spreading the word and you know upholding the values. Again, I wish I think we can grant and get things moving just by talking about it and telling people about what you got. And what's great is that you even provided me a little bit of what Peggy thinks about the organization. She wrote an amazing piece called Looking Back, Looking Forward. Here's a word from Peggy Hitchcock. First, I would like to thank you very much for having us on your program. I am delighted to be able to share this information with you and a broader audience in Tucson and elsewhere. In 1989, I attended a Kala Chakra teaching by the Dalai Lama in which I had a profound visionary experience and decided to become a Tibetan Buddhist. The following summer, I was fortunate enough to be able to go on a trip to Tibet with my two teenage daughters. The trip was led by a friend of mine, Robert Thurman, a well-known Tibetan scholar and close friend of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Bob speaks fluent Tibetan as well as Chinese and several other languages. He became a Tibetan Buddhist monk for a short while and later was a professor, first at Amherst and later at Columbia University. He founded Tibet House New York, a repository of Tibetan art and which also teaches the importance of survival of Tibetan culture in our present world. This trip was a very transformative one for everyone involved. I was able to see firsthand what the Chinese government was doing in Tibet to eradicate this rich and ancient culture and religion. It was a horrifying experience for all of us. I then chose to visit Dharamsala, India, where the Tibetan government in exile is located. There I was lucky enough to speak with both the Dalai Lama's sister and sister-in-law. Encouraged by Bob, I decided there and then to see what I could do to improve the dire situation in Tibet and of Tibetans in exile. Upon my return to Arizona, I spoke with several friends of mine to see if they would assist me in founding a nonprofit organization to aid Tibet and Tibetans. Originally planned to be an adjunct of Tibet House New York, with which we are closely affiliated. My friends agreed to assist me in this venture, and we formed Arizona Friends of Tibet in 1991. I was the president of Arizona Friends of Tibet until my resignation in March of 2020. I would very much like to bring you up to date on the situation in Tibet today, which is tragic indeed. The Chinese have closed all the village schools where the Tibetan language was taught and have instituted a system of boarding schools for Tibetan children 
starting at the very young age of four and five. These children are only allowed to go home on the weekends and holidays. In these schools, the teachers are all Chinese and everything is taught only in Mandarin Chinese. The children are indoctrinated to become good Chinese Maoist citizens and to regard the communist state as the supreme authority over their parents. The idea, of course, is to eventually obliterate all traces of Tibetan values, which amounts to cultural genocide. If the parents should refuse to send their children to these schools, they are heavily penalized by the state to the point where they cannot afford to do so since the communist state controls everything. There are currently over a million young Tibetan children being forced to attend these schools. We at Arizona Friends of Tibet do everything we can to educate people about this situation and to supply aid to Tibetans that are struggling in exile and inside of Tibet to maintain their cultural values. We also do everything possible to promulgate the Dalai Lama's teachings of compassion, patience, and nonviolence. Today, we made friends with Ray DeShiel, the Associate Professor of Religious Studies and East Asian Studies at the University of Arizona, as well as Steve Rosalick, the President of the Arizona Friends of Tibet, dedicated to manifesting His Holiness the Dalai Lama's vision of promoting basic human values as set forth in Tibetan culture, civilization, and ancient Buddhist traditions. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. This was Lifestyle Tucson. Bing bong bing. Time for a recap. What a great conversation I had with those fine folks from the Arizona Friends of Tibet. I really enjoyed that conversation. Sometimes religion can scare people, but when it comes to kindness, that's something that I can believe in nonstop. So let's just recap where you want to go and where you want to find all the shows that they're showing. And that's at ArizonaFriendsOfTibet.org. You can go find them on Facebook, facebook.com slash ArizonaFOT. The dates for the Film Fest for the Arizona Friends of Tibet are going to be Saturday, October 21st at 2 p.m. at the Loft Cinema, as well as Sunday, October 22nd. You can also get details on those shows over at the Loft's website. You got it. Figured out. You know how to look up where a movie is. It's at the Loft. So go enjoy it with our new friends, because today we made friends with Arizona Friends of Tibet. And I want to thank them for joining me today. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. If you're a nonprofit that would like to be on the show, email lifestyletucson at gmail.com. For more information about this program or to listen to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday Mornings page on klpx.com, kfma.com, mixfm.com, or espntucson.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and Audible, or wherever fine podcasts are preaching kindness. Follow on Facebook and Instagram at Lifestyle Tucson, because I'm your BFF, your best Frank forever, Frank Powers, Toot Toot Tucson. I love you the most.